Well, this morning is Resurrection Sunday, and in uh, God's providence, we have been walking through uh, the book of Acts. And in God's providence, last week, Rome took us through Paul's entrance into Jerusalem. And Luke sort of traces in Paul's life how Paul is following, in some ways, the same path that Jesus takes. His entrance into Jerusalem on uh, Palm Sunday, uh, and, and Paul enters into Jerusalem, uh, not in the same way, but is, he sort of sets his face to Jerusalem just as Jesus did. And in God's providence, this week in Acts 22, Paul gives a defense for his ministry before the Jewish crowd that had gathered against him and refers to the resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, this is like the greatest uh, providence of God in terms of uh, preacher's delight here. Uh, I didn't have to deviate and go find a different message because it's right here on Resurrection Sunday in the text. So we're going to continue in the book of Acts this morning uh, as we continue through this, uh, uh, tracing through this. And as we've been doing, uh, part of our goal here is to see how does the early church respond to this brand new thing that's happening in the world post-resurrection of Jesus? And, and, and what are they doing? And how do we learn from that and refresh our priorities as a church. So let's pick up where Rome left off last week in Acts 21, starting in verse 37. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? If you remember, uh, Paul shows up in Jerusalem and uh, the, the plan is, hey, we're gonna take uh, these uh, four bald men, which, uh, you know, Rome maybe, maybe called me bald at some point last week. So, but I did cut my hair this week. I'm a little bit more bald this week, so it's appropriate. Also, I'm stealing that uh, Four Bald Men as a band name because um, it's pretty good. Um, so, uh, but, so, so remember, they had this plan of, hey, we're going we're, we're gonna to gather together with these other Jews, shave our heads in, in order to uh, fulfill this vow that we have done and go into the temple. And immediately they see Paul and they accuse him of bringing Greeks into the temple, of of speaking against the temple, right? They rise up this crowd that beats Paul. And then the Roman authorities come in and rather than saving Paul and defending him, they accuse him of being the problem. And they pick him up and arrest him. And when they arrest him, they are taking him inside. And Paul says to him, may I have a word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised. Because he hasn't really taken the time to learn what's happened. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the Essenes into, out into the desert? You see, they got the whole story wrong. They came in with all of these assumptions about what had happened rather than actually learning what had happened. This is often how we approach things in our lives. We come in with assumptions knowing, oh, I know things about that person because of that thing. And that's what these men had assumed. No, Paul replied, I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. 
The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Paul stands up in the midst of this crowd, and he begins to address them in their own language, right? This is one of the ways in which we see the versatility of Paul. He speaks to the commander in Greek, and then he speaks to this Jewish crowd in Aramaic. Paul, as we have learned over the last few weeks, right, says he is going to become all things to all people. He is going to shift the way in which he speaks to different crowds in order to say the same message as we're going to see over and over again, in order to be heard. Shows us that there's a need for some flexibility in how we proclaim the gospel. Sometimes we uh, say things like, well, people just want to reject the gospel message. And sometimes the reality is we haven't done a good job of translating the gospel message into a way in which a culture can hear it in any intelligible way. Paul shows us this time and time again. And now Paul's going to give his defense. And his defense is going to be his testimony. He is going to share with them the way in which God has been at work, which has compelled him On this mission. And I want you to pay attention to how Paul addresses uh, their concerns by speaking of one important thing the resurrection of Jesus. For Paul, the question is if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then it's it commands my entire life. And if it's false, this is a bust. It's resurrection or bust. And that's the the message that Paul is going to share and that I hope by the Spirit of God we are going to receive this morning. So let's listen to Paul's defense from Acts 22, 1 through 5. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Luke is a master writer, right? Imagine the scene. These are the folks that have just beaten Paul almost to death. And now he stands up to offer his defense, and so they get quiet. And then he speaks in their own language, and they get even more quiet. Everyone is attentively listening. What is Paul going to say? Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. This is important. He's mentioning an important uh, Pharisaical teacher who he had learned under. This is a man that everyone would know. Gamaliel actually might even be in the room, right? And he is saying, guys, I am not who you think I am. I am not this outsider. I am one who has come up among you. I went to your best school. I was trained by you. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. You know, he acknowledges you are zealous to defend God. In some ways, What Paul is experiencing at the hand of the Jews, if Paul is wrong, get this, if Paul is wrong, the Jews are right in condemning him. 
According to the Old Testament law, blasphemy against God is punishable by death. And so if Paul is wrong, they are believing that they are following correctly the law of God. It's important to know. And and Paul acknowledges this. You are all zealous today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. I think it's easy for us as we walk through the book of Acts and read the New Testament to forget who Paul was. We can never forget who Paul was. Remember, this story begins in Acts with the church born at Pentecost as the Spirit descends upon them and then experiencing great uh, revival and great persecution in Jerusalem. And there's this phrase, right? The first time we get Paul introduced, a man named Saul, right? He has two names. It's not like he transforms his name from Saul to Paul. Paul is his Greek name. Saul is his Jewish name. And at the feet of Saul is where everyone puts their coats as they stone Stephen the first martyr of the way, is stoned by folks who are setting their coat down at Saul's feet. Meaning Saul's the one that's giving approval here, right? He's the one that is not gonna get his own hands dirty, but he's giving approval to the dirty work that's happening. That's who Saul was. We have to remember that, not just for Saul, but for us. It's easy for us to forget, who was I before I met Jesus? It's good to remind ourselves from time to time, who was I? What was my life like? What ways did I rebel against God's law, his rule, and his reign in my life? Now, if this is true, if if Paul is this persecutor of the way, which is, right, remember, that's why they're persecuting Paul, right? They're like, you're this follower of the way. You're the one that is telling Greeks that they can be saved. You are the one out there talking about the resurrection from the dead. That's why they're beating him up. And he says, wait a second, guys. I was also like you. I was just like you. This is why Christians, we ought to be the least judgmental people in the world. When we see others rebelling against God's law, we should be like, yeah, I get that. You know why? Because I do the same thing. And I did it in even greater ways before I met Jesus. We should understand and be compassionate about those realities. He was persecuting the way. So what changed for Paul? What could change to make Paul the one who was in charge putting the church to death to be willing to go to death for the church. Paul is eventually going to be killed for following the way. He's gonna follow the way all the way to the end. What could possibly 
change to make this happen. This is in one of the, one of the realities that I think people have to wrestle with. Resurrection Sunday, I think, is one of my favorite, it is probably my favorite day of the year, uh, in terms of, I think it asks the questions that we all need to wrestle with. How do we explain this account, which is historically reliable, right? No one's going to dispute that Jesus was a real man, he was really crucified, and that the church was really born after him. Like, no one disputes those facts, and if they do, they're not, being, uh, they're not being honest about the facts, right? So the question is, what happened to make the church do this? And the answer is that the tomb was empty. That's the only answer that makes any sense. They really, really, really believe that Jesus was really, really dead, and he really, really came alive. And there's no other explanation. How else do we explain the reality of the church exploding in this way? Well, maybe they just kind of, they they really thought it was true. You don't give your life for something you really thought might be true, right? It's like the Rocket Mortgage commercial with Tracy Morgan, right? Are you sure? Pretty sure or certain? Well, let me show you pretty sure, right? It doesn't end well, right? If you're pretty sure, it's like, well, I don't know. Let's be certain. Let's be certain. Especially for a guy like this. He was certain, so certain that he was willing to kill other people. And now he's so certain that he's willing to die for other people. That's a big change. What can explain this change? Well, Paul is going to tell us. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. See, Paul continues to make these touch points to say, hey, guys, You're not getting the story right, as I wasn't getting the story right. This isn't this new thing that was unheard of. This is the actual result of the law and the prophets. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. You are to be his witness. You are to be his witness. 
See, this language Luke uses very intentionally. Ananias is saying to him, you are to be my witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What did the apostles say when the the religious leaders gathered them together and said, stop teaching about this man, Jesus? What did they say? We cannot but tell what we have seen and heard. You see, to be an apostle meant that you had to be Uh, You had to be appointed by Jesus himself and you had to be a witness to the resurrection. This was incredibly important, right? The the word apostle means messenger and it can be used in sort of a a lowercase a kind of way, like the, the messengers that are sent out. But there's also a capital A apostle and there's not a lot of them, right? (laughs) There are 12 And then Judas gets replaced, right? That's in the first part of Acts. And then there's this guy, Paul. And Luke is maintaining and making sure the church knows that Paul is an apostle. That Paul has witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Now, he witnesses the resurrection in a unique way, right? This is after Jesus has rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven. Jesus returns in some sort of physical form and presents himself to Paul in this blinding light. And he is a witness to the resurrection. Now, this is super important because Paul is going to maintain throughout his ministry the importance of him being an apostle. Because there's lots of false teachers that go around teaching things contrary to the word of God. There are lots of problems that exist in the churches that Paul plants. And Paul needs to remind them that he's an apostle. This text in which Paul gives this defense sounds very similar to how Paul describes himself and his ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, let me, remind, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. The way Paul speaks of this, If it's not true, you should reject everything I say. You gotta be certain, not pretty sure. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, just an aside, when he says, as the scriptures say, he means the Old Testament, right? Because the New Testament was being written. He was literally writing it right then. (laughs) He's not referring to the New Testament. He's referring to the Old Testament, saying the Old Testament told us about this. The scriptures told us about this, that it was going to happen. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. 
For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But last of all, Paul says, I saw him. That's the the account that he is giving to the Jews in this crowd is, I saw the risen Jesus. What does Paul say here in 1 Corinthians? What is of most importance? Paul is trying to summarize for the Corinthians. If you get nothing else from my message, get this. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. He died a death as a substitute, fulfilling all of the Old Testament sacrificial laws, all of the Old Testament reality about the need for this atonement to happen, right? And as a fulfillment of the promise that a savior would come to crush the head of the serpent and he would be wounded. As I've heard, uh, I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but crushing serpents is dangerous work, especially on the heel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was really dead. That's the point of that. You know, the gospel accounts go into great detail to say he was really, really dead. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. He was dead. He was raised from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say of first importance is that he was seen. And what does Paul say? Why, why, why does him being seen, why is that important? Why is that included? He's saying because it was a real physical resurrection from the dead. This is not just like, hey guys, the ideas of Jesus live on in us. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you don't believe me? There are people still alive who saw him. Go talk to them. 500 people, in fact, saw him. Go talk to those folks. You know, it's interesting, right? In the gospel accounts, we get word of what the Jewish leaders promoted as an explanation for this, that his disciples stole the body. Why do they do that? Why not just go and say, why not go and take the apostles after Pentecost, take them to the grave in which Jesus was buried and say, see your resurrection from the dead. Why not just squash this thing in the moment? Because there wasn't a body there. The point that Paul is making is, this is a real physical resurrection. You can't just say the gospel message of Jesus lives on through us and it's important. Jesus rose physically from the dead. And if that's not true, none of this is true. The important importance here is that Paul is saying, I witnessed this in the risen Jesus coming and speaking to me so I can speak about these things. Paul goes on to speak about the importance of the physical resurrection. He says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Uh, important side note, you may hear folks today or this week, or maybe you've already heard folks say, you know, just a reminder, people don't rise from the dead. 
Uh, just a reminder, the Christian faith does not say people rise from the dead. We say person rose from the dead, right? This is an important distinction. We're not like, hey, all the time we just walk around and just like raising people from the dead. No, we're saying, yes, you're right. That doesn't happen. You are right. So if it does, it changes everything. If it happens, this isn't something that just happens. You're right. So why did everyone say, hey, this thing happened and I'm willing to die for it? Why? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. It's resurrection or bust. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead on that Easter morning over 2,000 years ago, this is one of the most foolish gatherings in the world especially because we do it every Sunday. And you, y'all pay me to do this, right? Like this is incredibly foolish if that didn't happen. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are, to be pitied, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. We are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. This is the most important points that I want to make this morning. It is resurrection or bust. Why is this so crucial? Well, it's so crucial because of the claims of Christianity. Now you could say, well, there's a lot of good ethical teaching to Christianity. Sure, sure, that's true. But the ethics of the Christian life flow from the king. And if the king lied to you over and over again, you should reject the ethics, right? We cannot separate uh, teaching and ethics from the character of the person teaching it. We can't separate that, especially when the claims are so important. Most of the folks who would argue that haven't read the claims of Jesus. He teaches some wild stuff, guys. Some wild things. His ethics are seriously questionable if he has lied to you. Also, this, the ethics, the good life of the kingdom comes, according to the scriptures, by being conformed to the king. If the king is dead, you don't want to be conformed to the king. Here's why I think we struggle with this a little bit. I think we struggle with this a little bit because we don't live a life that looks like a bust if the resurrection wasn't real. We are constantly hedging our bets. Like, yeah, I could make that risky move. I could do that thing that would honor Jesus. 
but I'm going to miss out on stuff. So I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do the right Christian thing, but I'm not living like that. Like that radical life, like that's a little too much. Like when the book of Acts talks about people selling property so that others in the church who have need would have their needs met, like that's too much. Because I like my stuff. We're constantly hedging our bets. So the question this morning is, if this whole thing isn't true, does your life look ridiculous? Does your life look like you should be pitied above all people on the planet because you have totally wasted your life? Because you've spent your time in such a way that showcases that the resurrection is the most important thing. Because of the way you've spent your money because of the way you've chosen your friendships or your calling, because of the way you submit your recreation, your, uh, your life, your new life in Christ, the way that you submit it to him following him, submitting everything about your life to him, not just my Sunday morning best, but my Monday morning worst. Do I submit that to him? Do I submit the loves that I have in life to him? to ask him whether that is what he wants? Do I so orient my life around the person of Jesus that my life looks ridiculous if he's not real? Like the Sermon on the Mount, the crazy things he says there about counting others as more important, about loving your enemies, about giving away your stuff so that the poor are cared for, the counterculture values the countercultural values of the kingdom, gentleness instead of unbridled power, behind the scenes, selfless, unknown service instead of looking for prestige and getting ahead, the quiet, private time spent with God that's not Instagrammed, the radical love for enemies, enemies. Like, do you know what that word means? Enemies. Jesus is not like, you know, your friends that are, you know, sometimes are mean to you. Enemies, those you are told are against you. You are to love. When you are persecuted, you are to bless and not persecute in return. When you are reviled, you are not to revile in return, but to bless. Radical love across racial, ethnic, social, cultural, economic, and political lines the pursuit of unity in a world of division, the pursuit of justice instead of comfort or maintaining power, the pursuit of kindness instead of hate, slander, or aggression, also known as Twitter. Let me tell you, I fully believe that those things if we were to submit our lives to those things, it would be the best way to live because God designed us for that kind of beloved community. But let me also tell you this. Realistically, that will also cost you a lot. It is the best way to live for sure in an ideal world. In a fallen world, living like that will cost you. Jesus says this. Count the cost before you become my disciple. This is going to cost you your life. 
if not physically for standing up for me and declaring the message of the gospel, certainly it will cost everything that you value in your life above me because it will have to be sacrificed for me. It will cost you. And let me tell you this. It's not worth it if the resurrection isn't real. 100%. If you do not believe the resurrection is real, you should probably get up and leave right now. Like It's, it's not worth it. Actually, you should stay so I can convince you that it's real so that we can talk through this. I didn't think through that before I said it. But it's really just not worth it. And if, what does Paul say? If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. More to be pitied. Pitied, not like, oh, they lived a good life but they didn't experience everything they wanted. No, like your life makes no sense. Your life makes no sense if this didn't happen. If this Jewish man in the first century died and stayed dead, your life should make no sense. That's the way this works. You were foolish. You wasted your life. But here's the thing, that logic works both ways. If the resurrection did happen, if the resurrection is real, and you live your life as though it didn't happen, you will waste your life. Because everyone will die. One of the things that this pandemic has shown us more than anything else is that we are vulnerable. Modern medicine is amazing, and we thank God for it. But we are vulnerable. Vulnerable. This thing that you can't see can kill you. That's crazy. We think so often that we're invincible. We are not. And everyone will die, and everyone will stand before the risen Jesus, just as Paul did. And what will you say if you are not in him, if he isn't on your side, if he isn't your advocate, if you are still in your sins, you will face judgment for your sins. And what will your life, your stuff, your brief moments in this world, what will they mean before eternity? You will be pitied more than anyone else in the world. So it's resurrection or bust, either way. But this is what Paul goes on to say. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came through the, into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. It's resurrection or bust. But let me declare to you today, it's resurrection. There are good reasons 
to engage in debate and conversation around those things. And if you're wrestling with the facts of the resurrection, I want to talk to you. And I want to talk through those things. But that's not what we do here on Sunday morning. We declare Jesus rose from the dead. It happened. Order your life accordingly. It happens. Now, what did it mean for Paul when it happened? Well, Paul goes on to say, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. This is back in Acts when he's giving his defense. And I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats. They took off when they stoned him. He's saying, wait a second. Lord, if they're not going to believe me, who will they believe? I was one of them. I was there. Certainly they'll believe me. Look at my life transformation. Isn't this sometimes how you feel? with friends and family who don't believe in Jesus? And you're like, wait a second, but you knew me then and you know me now. Do you not see the difference? This is why the risen Jesus needs to meet people, right? This is a reminder of our humility that we need to have in in sharing the gospel with others. It's not our job or our work. We cannot make dead hearts come to life. Only Jesus can do that. The crowd listened. Oh, wait, sorry. But Lord, but the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word, Gentiles. Then they all began to shout away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw, threw off their coats. Threw off their coats. What's the last time they took off their coats? And, toast, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air because they were trying to find stones. Paul, he went to the Gentiles. This is what it cost Paul. He took the cross-cultural message of the gospel That's the thing that drives this crowd against Paul. You know, sometimes we say things like uh, the gospel message is is offensive at times, right? Because it tells you you're a sinner and you need a savior. And that is true. But sometimes people are more offended when their cultural idol is challenged than when the gospel message is given. Which is why we got to give the full gospel message. Paul could have said right here, Jews, believe in Jesus. Look, the resurrection from the dead. But he said, and by the way, this is available to Gentiles. And that's when they were like, no, 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 no. We were listening. We are done listening. You must die. It's the fact that Jesus is Lord. It's the fact that Jesus is Lord and he offers forgiveness for sins and calls you into a kingdom, a way 
that crosses boundaries. Sometimes it's when the implications of the gospel are taken seriously that people are like, no, 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 no. You're getting too radical over there. Too divisive. Talk too much about that stuff that Jesus talks about, like being with vulnerable people, being for the oppressed, being for the poor, crossing racial and ethnic lines. Sorry, we must speak to that which we have seen and heard. If Jesus rose from the dead, he calls the shots. Here's the thing, guys. I know myself before I met Jesus. I would have said I was a Christian, but I was hedging my bets the whole way along. And there are lots of things that I talk about now that I would never have talked about had Jesus not walked out of the tomb. He calls the shots. That's it. Paul says in Romans, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown, it was displayed to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere that God has done for them what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. If Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says, I have to lay everything down that doesn't align with King Jesus. Gentiles? Paul, sometimes I think we have this idea that Paul was like this, this super like uh, forward-thinking Jewish leader. He always wanted to hang out with Gentiles. No way! He was trained under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. There's no way he's going to eat with Gentiles and tell them the good news of Jesus unless the risen King Jesus comes and says, go tell the Gentiles. And then he said, okay. Pastor Tim Keller says this, if your God never disagrees with you, you just might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. The resurrection challenges us to say, is our life aligned with the king who rose from the dead? Is it resurrection or bust for us? The question for us this morning is, what in your life is out of alignment with King Jesus? Look at his life. Look at his teaching. Look at his apostles and look at their teaching. What is out of alignment? Because our culture is going to teach you a certain way to live, a certain way to understand money and sex and social justice and recreation and how to spend my time and what to put my hope in. And if it's out of alignment with the one who rose from the dead, get in alignment with the one who rose from the dead. Even if it costs you your life. Because here's the thing. 
it cost him his life for you. But he rose from the dead so you can be sure that you also will rise from the dead. You also will rise from the dead. You will be welcomed into his kingdom. This world in its brokenness, its fallenness, its struggle, its strife, its oppression, its anger, its hatred, it is ending. That's what the death of Jesus tells us. I am bearing your sin. This thing is going to be over. And the resurrection tells us the new life, that new way of the kingdom, that's really coming. It's already started. Join in. Get on the side of the one who conquers death. And here's the crazy thing. You don't even have to like be a star player on the team to, sh- to sign up for this. Because Jesus has done all the work already. He's done everything. You simply come to him, confessing your sin, your fallenness, your need, and trust him. He longs to come and to see you, to be near to you, to come, as we talked about on Friday night, and intimately eat with you and be united with you. And one day, raise you from the dead and welcome you into a kingdom in which you will experience joy everlasting. In which the suffering that we endure now cannot even be compared to an ounce of the glory we will receive then. All of it because Jesus went in a tomb for you and walked out of a tomb for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we give you glory. You have risen from the dead. You are king. You have done it. Lord, thank you. Would you work within us? Move whatever is out of alignment in our hearts with the king of kings who rose from the dead. Give us the courage and the strength to submit to you in wherever it is that you're touching right now, Holy Spirit, in us. And Jesus, would you do a mighty work so that we would live lives, that the rest of the city would look at us and say, that makes no sense. And we could say, yes, it does if King Jesus walked out of the tomb. Jesus, do this for your glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Uh, As the kids uh, come back from Children's Church for uh, this,